I'd tell you the details, but it sounded like I made them up. Your problem is you spent your whole life thinking there are rules. There aren't. Believing as I do, like the good Dr. King said, a man should be judged on the content of his character, not the color of his skin. Yeah, he's dead. You're gonna need a different quote. I just charged for parking. Oh, you think they're gonna ask questions when they come with their pitchforks and their torches? She has a flight, Sasha. We gotta go. We had a piece of pie like that since the Garden of Eden. Simply deliver a message when the time comes. A message? To who? To the wicked. We're very friendly people. No. That's not it. Pretty unfriendly, actually. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Very Friendly People, the Fargo Character Analysis Podcast. I am, as always, your humble host, Thomas Potts, and as always, I'm also joined by... A very sick Jack Breeden. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, Jack's feeling a bit under the weather, but he is still joining us today, which I'm very, very happy for. I wouldn't miss this for the world. Oh, bless you, man. Uh, Particularly Hmm. not this episode, where we're going to dive into a a very positive character, uh, then that is the character of Gus Grimley. Uh, so yes, Gus... a, a positive ray of sunshine. Exactly, yes. Uh, which is, is what we need more than ever in these these dark, dark times. <laughs> okay, so uh, who is Gus? So Gus is sort of the, I guess, secondary protagonist. Uh, we have obviously have Molly, who very much spearheads the campaign against uh, Lester, uh, whereas uh, I think Gus's white whale is more Malvo. I mean, the very first scene that we meet Gus is the scene in which he meets Malvo. Would you say that's fair to say? I would definitely say it's, that's fair to say. Um, I, I, I think uh, in a very different way to, to, to perhaps how Malvo is maybe Lester's white whale in, in the essence of him wanting to get one up him. Uh, mm-hmm. Or for the sake of of, of pride and all that, uh, much like um, in in Moby Dick, for the sake of revenge, uh, I think Gus has a lot more has a lot more pure intentions. Uh, well, certainly more than than Lester and Malvo, that's for sure. Yes, I, I think that uh, with Gus, it's the fact that he can sense that something is just not right with Lorne. Uh, you get a sense from his character uh, all the way throughout that there's dishonesty doesn't sit right with Gus. Um, and so when when something sticks out, something is just wrong and somebody is being deceitful, uh, Gus can't let that go easily. Absolutely not. Um, he's... Uh, uh, I've completely forgotten my point. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, all right. I... I, I <laughs> You're, started, you're excused. <laughs> I started to talk, and then I realised my mouth was moving, and my brain wasn't. And I was like, oh, "This isn't the right way round." Hold on, a minute. I need to think of something <laughs> first before I speak. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yes, yes, um, he's a, he's a good pairing uh, for for Molly in that regard. 
um, mm-hmm. for that disdain for deceit and, and lies and that quest for, for the knowledge and the truth. Uh, of course, Molly wanting to unravel the mystery and the mystique uh, and perhaps for, for Gus the curiosity of what if, what if I'd done something differently when I met Malvo? Uh, what if I had put myself and my, my, my child in danger by arresting this terrifying demon of a man? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because um, I was I've been rewatching season one recently, and I've Gus was never a character that I I have to admit like was very interested in, but I've I've definitely mm. gained a newfound appreciation for him, uh, particularly with this um, this idea of kind of lies, particularly within a story that claims to be a true story. Yes, and, no, I I would, I would agree as well. Um, he's certainly not a. On a first viewing for me, anyway, it wasn't a, a, a standout character. Definitely one of mm-hmm. my favourites. But um, upon doing research on this and just watching interviews with wonderful, wonderful Colin Hanks, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want, if you want to have a, you know, just a, the nicest character, you might as well get the the son of Tom Hanks. You to get Forrest Gump's baby. That's that's exactly exactly you get to play this role. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> mm. I suppose there's kind of gumpish qualities to Gus in the. Um, I mean, Noah Hawley himself has described him as a bit of a man-child, which I, I think mm. is maybe slightly unfair. But um, I, I guess when you look at the way, particularly that he relates to his daughter Greta, I mean, their their mm. relationship is just incredible, and they they're very yeah. much on kind of equal footing. It doesn't it doesn't feel as much like a typical father daughter relationship but they they kind of they're best mates really and they you know she gives him a lot of wisdom in the same way that he tries mm. his best to to offer wisdom to her and it's it's quite a beautiful any time that these two are on screen together i think uh, Joey King is the the actress is, who plays yes. Greta yeah, yes. but anytime they're on screen together and they're just like, where she's trying to give him advice on how to turn on one of the computers and he's like, oh, they've got mm. different computers at the precinct. It's just, it's so cute. It's so cute. I know. They're, the bond is is uh, so close-knit and they've, they've got each other's backs. Um, uh, that relationship, I imagine, is probably so strong due to the, the, the absence of, of, of the mother uh, uh, passing mm. away before the, before the show begins. Um, and you can definitely tell that there's there's a, a void in that life, and they've done their best, um, and they really have done their best. They've done a very good job of of keeping their bond very very strong. Uh, they're they're kind of the glue that keep each other's together. Yes. Um, the reason the reason Gus does anything is because of Greta, mm-hmm. um, and Greta does so much just to to, to kind of teach <laughs> teach her dad, uh, perhaps more than he teaches her. Yes, uh, which, is always, which is always fun to see, uh, uh, especially you know him being like you said the man-child kind of thing. Um, and you have a lot of characters, like, man-child characters in, in in fiction, you know, who who kind of are schlubs, they're layabouts, they don't know how to look after themselves. But he isn't. He isn't that. Um, I no. think in fiction you have a lot of love comedy characters like that. Or retrospectively, you look back on a lot of characters like that, and you go, "God, why was this character so liked?" Because in the real world, they're just this horrible layabout who does absolutely just takes and takes and takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that he's childish; he's just maybe not even naive in a way. Mm. He just is. He's definitely anxious, not quite cowardly. Well, maybe cowardly. Not that cowardly is a particularly bad thing in in some cases. I don't think. Mm. Um, but he. 
he's been missing a lot in his life and guidance in his life, and he's just tried his best to cling on to the whatever he can, whatever port in the storm, I suppose, and is making exactly. do. Yeah, and I think that um, you know Greta is very much a, a very strong port in his life, and so it's interesting that when he first confronts Malvo, and that this is a man who you know is a policeman, that is his job, but he. Mm. It's clear I don't think he really identifies himself in that role. It's more just sort of a thing he's ended up doing. But he knows mm. that when something is wrong, a policeman is meant to stop the bad thing. And yet, I think it is because of... Not so much because of his daughter, because mm. that implies that, that Greta is a source of weakness for him. It's more the fact that he doesn't have... I think the, the, the void left behind by his wife, he sees as a bit of a weakness... Because he's like, mm. he thinks, if I die, there is literally nobody who will take care of Greta. And that is the thing that he's most afraid of. And that's why he lets the, the criminal get away. And that haunts him. Absolutely. And then it, it's that, unend- it's that um, what do you call it? That uh, uncertainty of, 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 of feeling after that encounter that kind of drives him forward for his final confrontation uh, confrontation with, with Malvo at the end. Mm-hmm. It's when when they have a full family, that's when he finally is able to kill Malvo. Mm. Because he's... There's, because obviously like, there he feels that, you know, whatever happens, I know that Gretel will be taken care of, but metaphorically, I suppose, the this this filling of the void and in many ways i suppose gus and molly are two two halves of uh, a great detective in many absolutely. ways absolutely absolutely both have the similar goals um both obviously you know have pretty much the same ending uh obviously they're in the that scene together because they're married together and they're now both a part of the same family mm-hmm. um but they both let go at the end they both uh, Molly with the phone call with Lester, she puts it down and gets on back to work, gets on back to watching TV with the family, um, and Gus, you know, puts down Malvo, and then goes back to his family just as, just in the same way. I think. Mm-hmm. It's but it's interesting because I think he's he's not a man who who likes violence, and I think Absolutely when he not. when he kills Malvo at the end, I think it it bothers him, and he's like I. I'm being hailed as a hero, and I don't. That's not how I see heroism. What mm. what he sees, what Gus views as heroism, is somebody who gets you your mail on time. That's the beautifully pure mind that Gus has. I know the 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 proper Charlie Brown goodness mm-hmm. uh, that that he embodies, um, and he, he he's kind of the the final loss for Malvo. He's he's the final victory against that kind of evil, because Malvo, you know, when he dies, he's smiling at him. He's mm-hmm. happy that he's killed him, because he, he feels like he's he's passed off that predator mindset to Gus. Mm-hmm. But Gus doesn't go off and become a Lester, and becomes off to be, you know, bitter and dark. And doesn't get infected, haunt, yeah. And get infected by it. He He walks away from that. He doesn't feel good about it, and that's the ultimate victory to that very sweet and... Some people said bittersweet slash disappointing ending. Mm-hmm. I think is wonderfully disappointing, purposefully disappointing, in such a really poetic and and slice of life kind of way. Um, that just makes it more warm, if that makes sense. 
Yes. It's also great, just talking about um, Gus as a, a mailman um, for a bit, uh, one of my favourite details that I've noted is that um, the first obstacle that Malvo really encounters... Uh, to, to my knowledge, is um, his infuriating encounter with the mailman who refuses to give him his parcel. And I just thought, oh, it, was, yes. I thought it was very interesting that it would ultimately be a member of the Postal Service who does him that in. Does him in, yeah. A, a bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in the demise of Malvo. I know everyone yes. picked up on that. Yeah. That's a great scene. That's when he's picking up his um, his, his priest disguise, isn't it? The Frank Peterson, yeah. Frank Peterson, yeah, yeah. And of course, every time he's been stopped has been by, by Gus. First episode, as he's speeding away, and then once again he has to quickly transform into into Peterson because Gus then spots him again. Yes. So at every opportunity, he's just there, just coincidentally. Mm. And of course, uh, he's, he's, he's part of animal control. He's the dog catcher, and so with... Exactly. Malvo being the the bad dog, it makes sense that the dog catcher is always going to be after him. Yes, uh, and it is a strange thing. It does always seem to be coincidence mm-hmm. um, that it, that he's meeting Malvo first time. Of course, he's just on on uh, patrol with his job, and the second time he just spots him, spots him down the street, and just arrests him, put him in his car, and then when he's hunting down Malvo, it's just the the wolf that he seemingly randomly decides to follow mm-hmm. uh, towards Malva's final resting place. Yeah, um, it's all, like like fate is just conspiring against Malvo in the form of this hapless, naive... Yeah, it is It is. is the the uh, eternally optimistic naivety that seems to be just uh, winning for Gus at every opportunity. Um I mean, they are a perfect split from Lester and Malva, where everything is kind of pre-planned, or when mm-hmm. something happens, they're desperately trying to cover it up. With Gus, he kind of just things just happen, and he just kind of floats through life. Yeah, uh, I suppose it just kind of takes things as they come. Hmm. I think Gus is very much a reflection of sort of early season Lester as well. Mm, definitely. They have that same sort of like quite apologetic nature and uh, things never seem to go right for them. In, in fact, Gus kind of reminded me of uh, another Coen Brothers character, that of um, Larry Gopnik in um, A Serious Man. Yes. That's, like, you know, just this case of always swimming against the tide and uh, try, trying to be, you know, the best person that you can be in a world that just seems so cold and uh, indifferent to you. And, and of course, that goes into the um, conversation that he has with um, Ari Ziskind, his uh, Jewish neighbour, which is mm. one of my favourite scenes because obviously I I love me a good parable. I love me mm-hmm. a good parable. Mm-hmm. And um, in that conversation, when um, Ari's um, parable basically, where well, he says the 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 moral is, it takes a fool to think that it, you can change the world. And uh, of course, Gus's reaction is well. You have to try, though, and that's that's Gus to an absolute T. No matter what, you've you've just got to try. Yep, yep, and it's definitely very telling that he doesn't quite understand or have a very um, <clears throat> a very concrete answer on it. He's not, uh, you know, Lester with with Molly's parable, where he instantly doesn't understand it because he's a sociopath, and then later on finally has an answer and goes, "Look, that's what it is." Blah 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 blah. Um. With Gus, 
he's definitely kind of the 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 good side to to what Leicester could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, of going, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm not quite sure I understand, but this is my personal belief, and I think I'm just going to stick with that. And it may not be right, but I'm just going to see what happens. And of course, they've both had uh, an initial interaction with Malvo, which sets them on two completely different paths. Uh, mm. You know, because um, Lester almost seems attracted to the the ability that Malvo has to lie to people, whereas Gus so, has so many lines uh, that um, Gus says where he... I think there's one point where he says that the the worst part that he just can't get his head around is like, how can somebody lie like that? And when he's in the police station, he's just yelling like like a child would. It's like, yeah. he's, he's lying. Like It's like, he's cheating. This isn't fair. How can you believe him? Mm. And of and course, no one bloody believes him. That's the thing. Again, going back to the idea of like, I, I almost saw Gus when I've rewatched it as the 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 child in a fairy tale, who yes. you know who's, who meets the big bad wolf, and all the grown ups just dismiss him because oh, it's just he's, it's just a kid. And even, you know, the name Gus Grimley that, like, invokes sort of mm. these Grimm's fairy tales of Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf or Hansel and Hansel Gretel. Hansel and Gretel, yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting to cast uh, Gus as this sort of, you know, child lost in the forest and just trying to find find his way out, basically. Absolutely. Um, and, and, of course, like in fairy tales, it's the same in horror movies as well. You know, the kids are always the first ones to see the ghosts, or they go, oh, there's something in the closet, something under the bed, and the parents are all, oh, it's it's nothing, you're just being such an imagination on you, you're being crazy, you're just seeing things, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Malvo is this big bad monster underneath the bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, of course, it's this uh, investigation that leads him to finally meet up with Molly, and uh, that's when his, his life's Starts to take a little um, change for the better. Yes, yes, a match made in heaven. Although it's not without its uh, its trials and tribulations, <laughs> that's for sure. Yes, that's for bloody sure. Uh, <laughs> I'd I'd love to think of like a, a kind of um, couples party with uh, with the, hmm. the Grimleys and uh, Molly and Gus are sat down with Greta and they've got uh, you know another family over. They'll be like, "How did you two meet?" It'd be like, "Oh, you know, we." We're on this um, parallel murder investigation case, and then, uh, yeah, he ended up shooting me in the middle of a blizzard. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was her, to be fair, but yes, I, I did I did shoot her in the chest, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, um, uh, all right. <laughs> and, and again, he just feels so bad about it, and he gives uh, an entire flower store worth of flowers that he just floods her hotel room with. I know, I know. And Molly, you know, still falls in love with him, despite that. Exactly, yeah. Uh, they're, they're just, why, why, do you think, why do you think they're such a, a good match? Why, why do you think Molly falls for, for Gus? What is it about Gus, essence-wise, that, that Molly thinks, yeah, I could, I could start a family with this man? Just because, um, you know, grow, grow up around a lot of other bumbling cops and working with you know Bill Oswalt and a bunch of you know quite pathetic uh uh male cops and then having your dad be a goddamn war hero mm-hmm. uh Gus is 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 seemingly quite more on the pathetic end 
I suppose, but I guess that I think Molly is a good judge of character and she's able to see the kind of potential inner strength that Gus has because ultimately he's been able to piece together what nobody else in Molly's department seems to be able to. And so I, I think that through that, Molly's mm-hmm. able to see past the, the man-child, past the postman and into the, the heart of a hero. And which is why there's such a good match of course because they're both they're both of the hearts of the hero but without the ego yes um because this this first season is definitely a, a warning sign for the the dangers of having an ego because seemingly all the all the hero characters all the all the all the good ones have absolutely no ego about them it's all the ones who who you know are totally full of themselves or think they're better than others that seem to meet a sticky end mm-hmm uh, can we talk uh, for a little bit about um, it's it's a very little scene and it's quite near the beginning of Gus's story, but I, I find it very interesting and it's the bizarre encounter that Gus has with Ari's wife, uh, who's credited as Leah Ziskin. Yes, I was just going to ask you the exact same thing. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a bit where... Um, <laughs> So his bedroom's window seems to be sort of on the same level as um, the Ziskin bedroom, and he catches Leah uh, in a state of undress, and he shyly looks away, but then he looks back, and she is then purposefully basically doing a strip tease for him, and he just kind of walks away, and then settles down to dinner with Greta, and we see... Uh, just opposite that uh, the Ziskin family are, are talking into a meal that Leah's just prepared and Leah gives him a little look over and then goes back. And it's mm. it's a fascinating scene, just even in the way that it's shot, in that you, you see a lot of the... You see the dinner happen in the background. Yes, and and of course he he himself is having a dinner with Greta. Mm-hmm. Um, just tater tots with tomato ketchup. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Comparatively, his is way. Wor- I think it's. Um, <clears throat> I think that scene, it's particularly in the way it's shot, it's very, very weirdly biblical, weirdly dreamlike fairy tale. Mm. Um, and I think it's all to do with temptation. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, the overt temptation, of course, of you know, w- watching a woman undress. Um, and her being another man's wife, and him, you know, shouldn't be looking at her, but but she's enjoying it. Um, and her, you know, then goes to feed her family, and is there with her husband and her kids, and stills look over and gives him another little nod, while her bloody family's right there. Um, and her meal, and her, you know, her family is, is relatively, quote-unquote, complete. Their meal is better, their house is better. Um... And yet, you know, he walks away. He uh, goes to his meal with Greta, uh, and and kind of nothing else happens with that. Yeah, um, I think it's just a sign of 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 him overcoming temptation. It's just mm. a weird little one of those moments in life where something happens, and then you nothing really comes of it, and you just think about going, "That was weird. Why did that happen?" Um, <laughs> I but guess it's a good it... little character character bit for 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 you to understand Gus as a as a person I think. Mm, I think it also like speaks volumes about how he feels that like you know the the family is incomplete and he thinks oh maybe maybe the house could use a bit of a, a woman's touch but um 
obviously it's it's also uh, it it also provides a very interesting context for the the later conversation that he has with with Ari who mm. I think starts their meeting saying I've got a child who won't stop sneezing and a wife who thinks out loud and um but and he he he, he, he says all these things that that happen that there are there are holes in his children's socks but but do I complain I do not he says and he says that it's these things are all are all little all gifts, gifts. Yep, the holes and all mhm and yeah. uh yeah it just provides a, a a nice little uh comparison between you know I, I i suppose gus might look over at that family and see it as this this beautiful um you know perfect thing you know in in spite of the the wife clearly you know being open to the mm. idea of infidelity but it's still being yeah. this very desirable thing and then ari provides this stark contrast of like we have problems but the problems are a part of the gift of it and you you come to cherish that those those problems and i suppose that might inform gus's um uh, perspective on what it means to have a a complete family and will inform uh, the family that he's going to have as uh, the Grimleys merge with the Solversons. Exactly, yeah. His mindset of that actually what he has is enough. Um, even though he has a a, a void left in there from, from his wife and, and everything, he still should cherish what he has at that time. Um, and he still, of course, does. You know, he, he got Malvo to, to move along for his daughter because his daughter is all the seemingly is what he thinks is all he, that he has left mm-hmm. um and so uh yeah it's just a good little little character little character bit for gus there um and then of course when he does uh get with molly and has and has that family of course that then cements his reasonings for going to hunt down malvo because mm-hmm. um, i i think he takes some of molly's some of molly's courage with him uh he's he's kind of inspired by her to to go after to go after Malva himself definitely yeah he he holds her in such high regard cuz mm. again he sees himself as you know a a postman in policeman's clothing whereas he just views Molly as an absolute hero as a super and, cop a super cop absolutely mm. and uh, the the fact that, that when she's there and she's got all the 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 boards with the um, all the different connections and everything, and he he doesn't he doesn't view it as like oh that's my my wife's like obsession or anything. I think he just admires the fact that she's so dedicated to finding the truth, and he trusts that she, you know, what she's got it right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, he's seen firsthand the cost uh, and the and the potential dangers of uh, of of seeking the truth, and maybe he feels a little bit in, indebted to her. Um, you know, being the only other person to to listen to him and make his viewpoint seem valid and reasonable, um, and of course, you know, shooting her, he's got to feel some sort of guilt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like he's he's probably doing. Yeah, I, I feel like I'll be um, making up for the fact, making up for that little mistake all those uh, all that year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Like going back to the the Lester parallel of you know Lester. You know, obviously bludgeons his wife to death, and Gus accidentally shoots his future wife. Um, yes, yes, they're just the the the, the same mild mannered character. You know, the two sides of the same coin. I think. 
Mm-hmm. Lester, but, you know, both problems with their wives, and they go split off in two completely <laughs> divergent paths. Both of them mm. a, a void in their lives, that's for sure. Yeah, but obviously, you know, you know, if Lester is, uh, you know, Lester's relationship with his wife is toxic from the get-go mm. it seems and it just seems to have made Lester grow in a very different way whereas Gus is enriched and, and nourished by by Molly's companionship and it, it enables him to ultimately do what's right and you know slay the villain in the way that um, you know Lester wasn't able to he tried to kill Malvo as well and ultimately failed to whereas Gus mm. was able to succeed Exactly. Um, and I've, I did a bit of research once again, um, and I think we we touched upon this sort of last uh, episode in our Molly one. But I just wanted to know kind of your your, your viewpoints on the fact that uh, it is Gus that that ends up getting Malvo mm. in the end, and and not Molly. Because I've seen reviews at the time being like, "Oh, that's a bit." That's a bit disappointing. That's a bit lackluster. That Gus, the nice guy, ends up shooting him cold-blooded. Oh, that's a bit blah, 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 you know. Uh, it should have been Molly in the end, because that would have been way more satisfying, um, which I, I personally disagree with, but I've, I've seen a lot of people talking like that um, mm-hmm. in my research I've been doing this week. Uh, so I was just wondering what your sort of viewpoints on that are. It's an interesting one because I remember the first time I I watched it and I was very much of that sort of mindset of like, yeah, it should have been Molly, particularly with regards to the context of the the movie that the Mm. TV show is based on in which, you know, Marge is the one who is able to to snag the bad guy at the end, whereas in this one, Molly's not even present. Uh, Although I suppose it could be argued that, um, you know, Marge has never really been after... um, the uh, I can't remember the name of the guy uh, who feeds Steve Buscemi into the wood chipper now. Oh, uh, Peter the Mare's character. Yes. Yeah. I'm, uh, just, I, I'm not doing a quick Google. Don't pay any attention to me. I'm not looking. Pay up no attention is. to the man behind the curtain. Uh, it is. Oh, oh my God! How do you pronounce this? Yeah, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Get Gear. G A E A R. Gaya, yeah? Gaya Grimsrud. Gaya Grimsrud, okay. Yeah, quite similar to Grimly, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah probably but, another parallel, I think. Mm. But, like, again, she she hasn't spent the whole movie trying to chase him. She's been trying to um, get um, Jerry. And, uh, of course, when Jerry's ultimately captured, Marge is, is nowhere near either. But mm. I suppose the difference is that we have seen Marge have that kind of final heroic triumphant moment whereas with molly we've had um we've had things where we've we've seen her be brave and heroic but she she falls short of achieving the kind of glory i suppose mm. uh that um the marge is because when when she's able to you know uh, shoot Gaia as he's running across the the ice and the music's swelling and it's it is a badass moment yeah. Whereas with with Molly, it like there are moments where like it, it it's undoubtedly badass, but there's there's a sense of closure which never quite comes with Molly, which um, I suppose by the end is something that she herself, like the audience, has to do as well is to to let it go. Uh, but of course, she gets the the last laugh because she gets the last line of the show, which is when when Gus is saying they should be given the 
you know, the praise to you, the award to you. And she says, no, that's okay. I get to be chief. And yep. that's when you, yep. that, that is the, on the final line of the whole show. And that's when the music swells. And that's the closure that you need right there. Yep, exactly. Uh, I, I feel like if you had a big bombastic, you know, sort of gunfight moment with, with Molly there, um, it would still be, it'd still be, a, you know, a, a satisfying end. But I think it would be a little bit of a of a mixed uh, kind of feeling for those characters because if they had totally gotten what they wanted, you know, in the most satisfying way, um, then I think there's a risk of you kind of going, oh well, now they're getting a bit of an ego now from it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they you know got the you know they got the key to the city and their face is all over the news and they're a hero and they're suddenly rich and famous and successful and. You know, uh, I feel like the fact that it is such a, a bittersweet moment, but it is very uh, understated and subtle victory, that's what makes it ultimately purer. Yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, that, that that moment of being able to finally kill the bad guy goes to Gus, who does not want it. He doesn't. Mm, he doesn't. Exactly. He doesn't see the world like that at all, and so it's no wonder that he's saying this isn't right you know again going back to the idea of like Gus almost seems to have this idea of this is how you know the story is told but the story's being told all wrong my mm. wife is the hero she should be getting all the glory I'm just this the hapless kid lost in the jungle who's just kind of stumbled his way through found this incredible woman along the way who's you know taught me how to be a better man and I've, again, you know, it's not through detective work. He literally stumbles upon Malvo, who just so happens to be at his weakest state. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, it's not, a, it's not a big fight or anything. He just walks into the room and shoots him. And shoots him in the cheek. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's not heroic. And Gus is right to think that it's, it's not heroic. You know, mm. shooting the bear when it's, when it's uh, leg in the bear trap. Putting exactly. down, putting down a sick dog. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And and then also uncovering literally all the evidence you ever need right next to him. Mm-hmm. He just stumbles across something that solves the whole case. Um, mm. And it is just that that naive optimism that ultimately slays this malevolent pre-planned evil, uh, which yes. I think is just so so good, so beautiful, such a such a good ending to a to a first season of a show. Definitely. And uh, going off on a bit of a tangent about uh, those cassettes. Um, mm, please re-wa- do. Yes, re-watching the uh, season one, I came up with another potential animal that Malvo could be. And uh, mm. that is um, sl- slightly informed by um, the the thing that uh, Ari Ziskin calls him when he, he encounters Malvo. Um, I think it's, a, it's a ser- Serim, I think the word S- is. Serim, yeah. Yes, which is a, um, a Yiddish word uh, meaning like he goat or goat man, and um, when when I realised that, it, my mind immediately went to um, a book in the Bible, uh, Leviticus, I believe it is, and it talks about the tradition of the scapegoat. So, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, the tradition of the scapegoat is um, you would get two goats who are of the same um, f- family, so like you know s- sibling goats. And um, one would be offered up as a sacrifice, and the other would be, uh, with, and the leader of the the tribe would confess to the goat all of the sins 
of the tribe and then that goat would be set loose and the idea of this this goat man who has all of these secrets is um seen in this this big um suitcase of cassettes all these people who have been on the phone and confess their their dark animalistic deeds to malvo and he retains all of these secrets as he just skulks about in the wild and i thought mm. oh, i wish i'd said that in episode 2 that would have been so good <laughs> yeah well you said it now so now it is it's out there in the world it is on very the podcast true. finally mhm um, and but, yeah, uh, very, i guess very good find Oh, thanks, man. And uh, while we're here, uh, I suppose we may as well go to uh, to Gus's ranking, because I think it is time to once again <gasps> go to No Saints in the Animal Kingdom. This is the part of the show where we take the character we've been talking about the whole episode, and we rank them in the animal food chain and try and describe what their spirit animal would be. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, Jack, do you, do you have any any suggestions as to what Gus might be? Uh, I, I kind of don't have many, unfortunately, and they're quite, uh, maybe surface level, uh, and I'm not sure if I mentioned them earlier in an episode, maybe the Molly or the Malvo one, mm-hmm. um, but I think, of course, um, my choice for him is inspired by my choices for others, I think yeah. that's how I've I've come to the conclusions that I've been uh, drawing on. Um, Makes sense. Of course, with Malvo being the uh, the wolf, uh, I, I would like to think that Gus is, um, of course, being a cop. So my first thought, of course, was dog, was a hound or a police dog. Yes. Um, but he's very naive, and so I thought well, maybe he's you know you know he's more of a puppy, isn't he? But I don't think I'll say puppy. <laughs> so I, I kind of I thought more maybe he's more of a Labrador. He's. You know, he's not a small dog. He's he's a he's a, he's a, a dog that kind of when you look at him, you just feel good. You feel happy. He embodies energy and, and positivity. Um, but of course, at the end of the day, is still a dog. Uh, and I think the the nice parallel is, of course, with Malvo at the end, him being the wolf. He's mm-hmm. looking to him, smiling, thinking, "I want to see another wolf. I want to see you develop into something feral, into something wild with." With big teeth, uh, with big wolf eyes, you know, predator rather than prey. And while, of course, you know, perhaps uh, he is something with teeth. He is something that barks and bites, and he is something of a predator more than prey. He's certainly not feral. He's certainly mm. not a wolf. He is absolutely a. Uh, I don't want to say a trained dog because I don't want to make it sound like he's. Uh, I don't know, under, under the thumb of, of being a cop or under the thumb of his own anxiety or under the thumb of Molly or anything like that, because I don't, I don't truly believe that. Um, but I certainly think he uh, likes order and maybe not hierarchy, but he likes structure in his life. You know, he's had a very turbulent life. Things are very uncertain. Um, and he, again, like we mentioned before, he's, he's desperately trying to get to any port in the storm. Um and so I think I think Labrador he likes to have a, a seemingly structured life, but embodies goodness and positivity, and uh, and you just look at him and you go, oh, bless, bless! He's a good him. dog. He is a good. He He's is a good, a good boy. Dog. He does. He he is he is a good boy. He deserves a treat. Absolutely, yes. Bless um, him. Bless him. Yeah, I, th- I think we might actually be in total agreement here. I'd I'd, Ooh, I'd very first. similar. Yeah. First of the show. 
Mm. Again, I mean, I love the irony of, you know, the, the character we see as a dog also being a postman. Um, yes. And a yes. dog catcher, which is very interesting. Yes. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. The, I mean, it, it's puppy. It's kind of puppy love when uh, when Gus and Molly first meet, because even though they're both adults, the way that they court, it's very... It, it has this childlike innocence about it, which mm. is very sweet to watch. Um, and again, that sense of that sense of loyalty and the sense of you know being able to kind of just just smell danger on people mm. in the same way that Gus is able to kind of you know when when he lets Malvo go, he says you know I, I just got a sense about the guy just not being right. Yep. Mm. So even even if he kind of underestimates his own intelligence, it's clear that he has these this incredible intuitive nature, which yeah, I think he needs to kind of trust more. And that that is ultimately what kind of leads him to defeating Malvo as well. That sort of gut reaction to things. Um, Absolutely. But to offer an alternative suggestion, and it's Ooh. it's a very yeah, it's it's another one of these more experimental ones where we say that uh, what if this is this is Mowgli in the jungle who's uh, befriending? That's so weird. Yeah, I was literally going to mention the Jungle Book about ten minutes ago into this because obviously Malvo like mentions the Jungle Book and he sees it as a story that he never bought into because he's because yes. uh, he's like if Mowgli was in the jungle the animals would just eat him, but uh, again it's that. The beautiful difference of perspective of the well what if Gus is the kid that that is able to win over the animals and is able to you know befriend the bear and the panther and is able to defeat the you know the tiger Shere Khan yeah, yeah. so and, I, and in the same way that um he doesn't understand the jungle book in the same way that Lester doesn't understand Molly's glove uh, mm-hmm. parable in question uh Gus does embody the jungle book and Molly does embody that the glove parable Yes, I think because because I'm in the, you know, the, the, there's this kind of idea in the in the Coen Brothers work and in a lot of works of fiction which talks about the evil being the unknowable force and that's what makes it so terrifying and it, mm. it that that narrative it it like gives the evil side a lot of power, but I always find it so beautiful when the evil side can't comprehend. Uh, the light, you know, I mean, going back to the Bible, the light will shine in the darkness and the darkness will not understand it. And there's something so mm. beautiful of, you know, the evil being able to say, well, I don't understand how you, you're still here, how you're still, you know, still fighting back. I've taken everything from you. And it comes from this this place that, that those who dwell in the darkness will never understand of how the boy can, you know, befriend the wolves. Ultimately, yes. E- even in the face of impossible odds, there's there's something. That's where the strength of of goodness uh, of these characters lie. It's just the the fact that evil, these evil characters or these twisted individuals, just seem to think that they know everything. They have life sorted out. They've they've pigeonholed uh, pigeonholed e- everyone into certain categories and they think that they know the lay of the land and how the world works and ultimately someone just comes in completely naive and oblivious to their way of thinking and just wins the day just because they know what's good uh, and they do it just because they want to see good people be rewarded and good things happen to to innocence 
exactly. and for, for, for evil and misjustice and crime to, to be not necessarily punished, but to but, but for justice to be delivered, for answers to be uh, uh, sought. That's beautiful, man. And yeah, it's 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 that message of the show which for me just steps it up above many others. And uh, yeah, it's it's something which I think we can all hold in our hearts. Uh, mm. It's it's a message that's certainly within every season mm-hmm. of of the show. I think within every last last scene of the show, in particular, it is that kind of yeah. What's just taking place is weird, and we've seen a lot of horrible things and a lot of horrible characters do reprehensible acts and sometimes you feel pity or sympathy for them sometimes you've got no idea how you think about them or why they've done certain things but at the end of the day you know after every night there is the day there is the dawn and there is always something around around the corner exactly and uh, I'm afraid around the corner of this is the end of the episode. So yes. thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, It's been a very pleasant one, actually. It's, I actually yeah. feel quite inspired after talking so about it. I feel very uplifted now. I've been having a, a, a very weird couple of days, uh, but I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Same. <laughs> compared to all the, the murder and torture and biblical evil we've been discussing on the on the previous episodes of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's another reason nice. why we. Yeah, it's another reason why we love uh, doing this. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you, Jack, for uh, joining me as always. And, and thank uh, you, Thomas, for for this whole endeavor, this whole Fargo endeavor. My pleasure, my friend, and uh, thank you so much to George Matthew for uh, our incredible theme tune. And thank you to Dan Reese for our wonderful, wonderful artwork. Uh, I know that they have commissions open. Uh, at this moment in times, and they're absolutely desperate to, to get some art made for people. So, if you're wanting something commissioned, please do seek them out. Yes, please do. I've seen uh, some of the other ones. In fact, didn't you get a commission off them recently, Jack? I did. Uh, I've still yet to get it framed. Uh, I'll probably do. I might actually do that later in the week. Um, but I got a Phantom of the Paradise uh, mock poster uh, done up. They did it in their own. Uh, style and their own format so it doesn't look like a post that's already been made uh, but it is gorgeous so so good so I, I, I need to get on that to get uh, signed and hung up in my my living room because it's looking very bare in here <laughs> I've been stuck looking at these bare white walls for so long I think it's due a change mm. ah tremendous man um, mm. so I think we've done sort of like the sort of main players for the main story so uh, absolutely yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure where, which character we should go for from here. Um, but yeah. if, if you guys have any suggestions of who you'd like to hear about next, uh, you can check out our Facebook page, you can check out our Twitter, and uh, yeah, please just let us know what you think of the podcast, any room for improvement, any suggestions of other things we might talk about. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Absolutely, and, and thank you so much for everyone who's listened so far and has engaged so far the response uh, the, just the amount of people I've <laughs> listened to this has just been mind blowing it's, it's Absolutely. truly wonderful truly thank you so much yes thank you so much and um, yeah uh, we will talk to you guys next time and uh, don't forget to wrap up because it's cold out there we are we'll betcha mm-hmm.